All right, everybody, I'm back with Joshua Becker, and uh, we just did a little session on kind of how to minimize or simplify your closet and meaning your wardrobe. And now, Joshua, I would love to have you just take us through a little bit room by room. So maybe to take kind of a few chapters in your book and collapse it all together, I'd love to have you walk us through kind of the living room, family room, kind of living areas of the home, and then from there into the bedrooms for the home. And again, one of the things I love in your book Um, I'm looking here at page 46, not that people are listening along, but the book really is great. But you write about how we should have a purpose for every single room, like, you know, for your room as a whole, and then for each room in your home, like, what's the purpose of this room? What culture are you trying to create? What, what, not just what I value level, what are you trying to accomplish through this space? Yeah. And like this is the great place where you have that conversation when you think of your living room, your family room, um, when you think of your your bedroom. Like what is, like what is the purpose of a bedroom? Like the purpose of the bedroom is rest and intimacy. Uh, like, so what do I have in my room that is fostering rest and fostering intimacy? Sometimes some of the things we put in those rooms actually detract from rest and actually detract from right. intimacy. And so, um, uh, and so thinking that through everything being equal, I get it. Some people use their bedroom as an office and, um, different things like that. So, um, you sort that through, but, um, for like, when you think of living areas and, and family areas, uh, what, what is the, the culture that I'm trying to create in this room for my family? Um, and I, I don't know if I share this story in the book. I, I don't recall specifically, but I remember uh, one person telling me they were beginning this minimizing process and they got to their living room and it was typical with couches and chairs all facing the television. Uh, and he said, you know what I most value is reading and music. Like this is what I want my kids to do and to be focused on. And he said, so when I minimized my living room, we took out the television and I brought in a couple bookshelves and I brought in instruments. And literally, like, that is what that room became, a place where we sat as a family and we talked and we read and and we focused on music. And that's what I want that room to be. Um that doesn't mean that there isn't a space in the home for television. And if you just have one living room, then, then maybe that is, is where that goes. But when you start to think through, what do I want this room to do for myself? And what do I want this room to do for my family? Um, it, we begin to question some of the things that we keep inside that, um, inside that area. And it's a good reminder that we're whole beings. You know, I don't know if you've read anything by Albert Borgman, but he was a philosopher of media from Montana. And, you know, he wrote quite a bit in the 80s and the 90s about the shift in American and kind of modern architecture from how a home used to be built around um, the hearth and the table. The hearth because, like, there was no central air heating, so people had to, like, stand by the fireplace to stay warm. And that brought people together around a fire for kind of relationship, conversation, reading time, and then the table, which brought people together around shared meals together and hospitality. But then the shift to how now the home is built around the entertainment center. And it's literally designed, people often design their home to get you to come down, you know, come in, 
sit down on a couch and watch TV. And even past that, he's writing before the digital age. Now that's almost like a quaint notion from the past. Now it's like every family member has their own device and just disappear into the isolation of their bedroom to scroll on Instagram, online shop, or watch Netflix, you know? And so I think what you're saying is how do I arrange my home as what behavioral economists call a nudge, like actually to index my body and my behavior toward what I most value. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like create purpose and intentionality for each room. Yeah. I, I, isn't that exactly how I said it? (laughs) 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 No, you're, uh, you're brilliant. And I, gosh, I shouldn't hijack this conversation, but I mean, to show how significant this is, I, uh, uh, we started a nonprofit organization called the hope effect a couple of years ago. And, and one of the things that we do is, um, try to get orphan children, out of orphanages and place them in families. Uh, and so we went to an architect uh, that I knew in Miami and I said, Hey, I want to create a home. Uh, can you design a home that would like foster relationship and security and stability among these children who have been through so much? How do we, by the way we create the home, uh, actually bring about security and acceptance and and love and um, mm. so being intentional with our rooms is is so important and then I think as I just think through like living rooms and I think like even the the decorations that we display in those rooms, should be helping us become the people that we want to be, or uh, like I say, help us fulfill our purpose in life. Um, and so I, I remember being at a friend's house and she had a, a bookshelf and it was just full of like books and bells and snow globes and like tons and tons of things. And I I was looking at it and I'd just been starting this minimalism journey. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know what's important to this person. Um, Like there's so much stuff around that there's no opportunity for the, the most meaningful things to really communicate uh, what is important to them. Um, And so I, I took that mindset going forward and we began getting rid of the, the decorations from, Michael's that, that match the couch and like things that were just there to fill up space. And, and what remained were, um, every decoration tells a story about our past, or it helps communicate who we want to be in the future and, and what we want to do. And, um, so I, in terms of like, let's create these spaces. And I think probably the same principles apply for both the living room and the bedroom, these mm-hmm. these very intimate places where the, the living room is probably where I host guests and, and where people are spending yeah. time. Uh, Hospitality, the where, rest. Right, yep. the bedroom is where I'm having these these very intimate interactions and conversations with, with my spouse. Um, and, you know, how do I just remove the clutter um, so that this can be, um, the place that I need it to be to live what what's a pretty uh, you know life is messy um, and and having a home uh, that is not uh, I think can be very helpful to us. Yeah, because you know physical clutter is also mental clutter. It's also you know a distraction from you know our heart and from our life with Jesus and life in the kingdom. What we most value, 
you know, it's been really interesting to apply your logic of kind of home by home in our own home. Like if you walk into our kind of main living area, it's super minimalist. And that's partially, that's just our style. And we have some beautiful trees, so it doesn't feel cold or Spartan. It feels just really simple, but really beautiful. But there's one bookshelf there. And, you know, we've been working on, it's like, what do we put here? Do you just put like random books that look cool? Or is this just like a place to store? Like books, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. And so that's been the hardest, that's been the one holdout in my life. My, my library has not been minimized. And even, and, you know, and even kind of opening my heart up to that. Okay, what is that and why is it? But we have a very high value for literature in my home. All of us are readers, you know, um, all five of us. It's like, it's like a very, very high value. Um, for literature in general, poetry, reading, the life of the mind. So one of the things we're working on right now, we were inspired by Ben Sasse in his book, The Vanishing of an American Adult, where he has this idea of a family canon, that every family should have 40 to 60 books that like shape the ethos of that family. And like these are the books that we as a family read and reread, and we've all read them as a family, and we pass them down to our kids. So we're right now compiling like the Comer family canon, and that's what goes in that bookshelf. So it's not necessarily the books that are cool or match or just make us look smart. It's the list of books for us on all sorts of different subjects from political philosophy to spirituality to, you know, anything that are just there that kind of we want to give shape to our family. So anybody can come in and like see that and like, oh, these are the books that the Comers hold dear. So you're saying something like that, where you're trying to create a space. It could be any number of values for you. It could be working out and you have your Nordic track in the thing, but like it's the spot where you kind of move forward what you care about most. I hope what people are hearing more than anything else is that minimalism is so much about intentionality. Uh, and yes. it's just being very intentional with the clothes in my closet with uh, what I have in my home, in my living room, in my bedroom, and and just thinking through um, what what do I want and need this space to be in my life? Because so I, I like I found this so much when I began removing and I took van loads of stuff to Goodwill, and I'm like, why did I have so much stuff that I didn't need in my home? Like, why was all this here in the first place? And it just came down to, I was just living life so unintentionally and so haphazardly. And so something was on sale and I would buy it and someone else bought something. So I would buy it uh, and not just taking control of my home and, and my life. Um, and as if I were to get like very specific steps, um, one of the things that I, I encourage people to do, like as you start minimizing the things in your living room or the things in your bedroom, like start with the easy stuff, uh, remove the things that you don't even want in the room at all. You just haven't taken the time to get rid of them. Uh, remove like the physical uh, visible things um, that you can shelves, things on the floor, things on counters, like remove those visible items first so you can sense the progress going forward. And then when you've done that, open up drawers and open up cabinets uh, and begin going through those areas as well. So all of your stuff is kind of start with the easy, like the easy stuff and then get progressively harder as you go through the process. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe to end this little session, 
What advice do you have for kids? Like, can you please just help me, Joshua? Help me, Joshua Becker. You're my only hope. I like, if you were to come over to my home, you would walk through the front door and you'd walk into the living room and it's kind of a big open plan. We have our kitchen and, you know, a dining room table and living area. And it's, I mean, there's probably other than things that are actually part of the house, you know, and not including like chairs, there's probably like eight things. Like it's super minimalist, right? You'd be like, oh, wow, you're such a great minimalist. And then you would walk up the stairs and the first door there is my boy's room. And you would open that door and you would be overwhelmed by maximalism, not minimalism, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then my daughter's room, God bless her, is the same. And we've just really struggled to know like what to impose, what not to, kids just... You know, there are like fly paper for stuff. Every time they visit their grandma or grandpa, they just come home with like two bags of stuff we don't want. God bless grandma and grandpa. So any advice, but I, and I recognize there's a psychological development thing there and that I really want to not override or oppress or hurt in my children and their, and their kind of sense of identity and ownership and healthy sense of autonomy. So any, any coaching for parents to know, you know, especially my kids are getting a little bit older and I feel like the older they get, the harder it gets when they're two, it's, it's pretty easy, but yeah. what about as they get older? Yeah. And I, and I was just going to say that, I mean, I think you have to take into account their age, uh, the, the older they are, um, certainly the older they are, the first time you introduce this concept, uh, the harder it's going to be. Um, but as they get yeah. older, you're, you're right. You're, you're teaching them to, um, to, to be who they're, who they're going to be. And, uh, you want them to be making more decisions and, and taking more responsibility, um, for their life going forward. Um, there's a, I think you're kind of always walking this balance, I think as parents, not just in terms of minimalism, but in terms of anything where, okay, there's, there's a culture of our home. Uh, there's the values of our family. Um, and this is, this is what's important to us. And this is why we do the things we do. Uh, and then there's, there's kids who are, becoming their own. Um, and we're, we're constantly trying to, um, uh, display these values and, and set this example of why it's important. I think we're teaching along the way, right? We're explaining why we do what we do right. and why we own what we own and why we don't own what someone else down the street is owning. Um, and we, if, if needed, you know, um, steer in the right direction. Um, if, if, you know they're getting too far out of bounds and really running down some some harmful ways. We uh, we step in when it's appropriate, um, and then we uh, gosh we we pray and we hope for the best, right? <laughs> um, ultimately, yes. we I, I think I think my kids when like when they get their own job and start their own families, like they're gonna do what they're going to do. Um, but I know that if I've set this example of minimalism, if I've set this example of faith, um, then they can always return back to it. And so maybe they go off and they chase anything and everything that the world is selling. I know that that, that road is going to run out at some point and they can always come back and say, oh, now I understand why my parents did it the way that they hmm. did it. Um, so that's, that's long-term stuff. When it comes to short-term things, I'm, I'm a big fan of physical boundaries for kids, age appropriate physical boundaries. Um, that's what we've done with, with my kids. Um, they're teenagers now it's a little bit tougher, but certainly when they were younger, Hey, look, you can have as many toys as you want, as long as they fit in this closet or they fit against this wall or they fit on this 
shelving. Uh, Alexa, you can collect as many rocks as you want, as long as they fit in this section of the drawer. And I, I think it uh, it empowers them to make decisions about what to keep and what to get rid of. It helps them see, okay, if I keep this toy, it means I have to get rid of something else. Um, but I think boundaries are um, so helpful. It can be used in almost any clothes, artwork, schoolwork, toys, sporting goods. Like, like so many times we can set those boundaries and let them function inside of them. I, I think it's really an important lesson for kids anyway. Ultimately, you know, kids who don't learn boundaries become adults who don't set them. Um, and, and that's when we wow. get into a lot of trouble in life when we're not setting yeah. proper boundaries. And as Orson Welles, I think, said so well, art, uh, how do you say it? Art exists best uh, within limitations. Um, you know, when, mm. when we realize we all have limited money and limited time and limited space, that this is when we're able to, to function best uh, within that realization. Oh, this is just great. Thank you so much, Joshua. For those of you listening, this is, you know, if you want the kind of biblical theology behind this, you know, go back and listen to the podcast before this on through our teaching series. You know, I'm just exploring with Joshua, like very kind of practical nuts and bolts kind of stuff and, and some of the motivation behind simplicity or minimalism in the way of Jesus and beyond. Thanks for listening. 